right, welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I'm Heidi McDonald, the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly, and also the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Well, I've returned to my ancestral homeland, New Jersey, and I am here in the Meadowlands uh, for the East Coast Comic Con, and uh, it's a majestic... uh, cold convention center, but uh, it's a really great lineup of guests. I highly recommend it. And I'm sitting here with one of the top ones, the one, the only, Marv Wolfman. Marv, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Heidi. How are you? <laughs> I am good. Um, Stan Lee told me once that I was his, I was the editor-in-chief. He was, of course, the boss, the publisher. They call, and I go into his office for a meeting. He says, hi, Marv, how are you doing? <laughs> and I went, because I'm pretty low-key, as you know. I'm okay. I'm fine. Uh, he said, no, Mom. You're not fine. You are great. And remember that. You are great. <laughs> well, Marv, there's, there's nothing you haven't done. You've worked with Stanley, and you've worked with me. I was your assistant. Well, that is the uh, gamut, right? That is the gamut, yes, yes. I was your assistant when we both worked at Disney, and uh, you were, uh, it was a delight. It was one of, I learned so much from you, and that uh, I still carry with me to this day, and um, it was a great time. You're filled with stuff, and it's too much, so you can't get rid of it. That is true. That is Just true. Just sell the part of me that, part of you that was me, and right. it'll be a lot better. Right, right. Yeah. Well, um, oh boy, uh, what was it like working with Stanley? <laughs> Stan was great. Uh, Stan, everybody has certain uh, viewpoints based on publicity or based on the fact that he's very outgoing and fun. But when you got into a room with him. He was first of all the same publicity. He was, he is a very outgoing person, and he loves to talk about comics, and he loves everything. But when you ask him specific questions and help, he had the answers within seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would bring in uh, covers, trying to figure out where to place the balloons, and I'd spend an hour looking for a space, and he'd get it and go right there. And it was exactly, <laughs> step by step, everything I ever needed from Stan, he knew inside and out. He right. is definitely the person that deserves all the acclaim now. Right. Hold, hold on. I'm going to let this guy... I'll put this in here, but I will donate it. Yes. So, um, so yeah. that's fantastic. That's actually really... I've actually heard that Stan, of course, puts his name on a lot of projects, but some of them he actually has been active with, and I've heard that he actually, um, you know, still, still has a pretty good eye for story. Here and there, so um, I'm sure he doesn't lose that at all uh, because he understood story inside and out. But it's not Stan's doing it; he's now Pow. Right. So it's the Stanley Company that's sort of putting it together, and they're very successful. I did a movie for the for Stan just a few years ago. Um, I'm trying to remember the name. <laughs> uh, it was it. It, I was the perfect choice for the movie because it was about a teenage Latino surfboarding superhero. Right. That and, is which I am, you know, yes. on all those levels. Uh, but the movie came out. Uh, I had a great time with it. Stan really seemed to like it. And um, it was on stars. And, you know, it's done well. Um, was that, have you written uh, other, like, movies uh, of that kind, animated film movies, or, like... I that? did, uh, I've written several that never came out, mm-hmm. uh, that <laughs> helps. I did write a version of the Teen Titans uh, movie with Tom DeSanto, who's the producer of the X-Men and Transformers and stuff, but 
that version is not the one that came out just recently uh, under Teen Titans to Judas contract. But I did a um, an animated movie for China uh, a couple of years back. I don't believe that's ever come out. Um, uh, and I've done work overseas that I'm never sure how they've come out or not, right. whether well, or not they've come out. But of course, Marv, you are best known for your comics. So I've been sitting you here at your table for the last little bit, and uh, it's slowed down. It's the end of the day here, but uh, people just keep coming up with Teen Titans. And yeah. uh, of course, your class run with George Perez on that. And uh, you created, though, like you created... Um, uh, Starfire and Starfire, Raven, Cyborg, Deathstroke, and all the almost all the villains. Yeah. Right, right. So, in fact, I've noticed that you have created so many characters. Like, it for I, I doubt that there's a single Marvel or DC TV show or movie that doesn't have somebody that you created, even if it's like the background. Characters. Yeah. You should have created more like scientists. <laughs> <laughs> than any oh. other right I mean there's always like the scientist who's standing there and like tells them you it know. is strange uh, <laughs> in in uh, what was the last Superman movie uh, uh, Man Bat- of Steel yeah Matt, no Batman v Superman well that that's the last combo but the right. one before Man that was Man of Steel right. and one of my characters uh, Professor Hamilton right. played by Richard Schiff from the West Wing was in it right there's a sequence uh, he's at Star Labs and there's a sequence where he's talking to a tech. Okay? Miscellaneous tech. Right. I don't even think they gave him his name. The actor who played the tech played Hamilton on this on the Smallville TV show for several years. So you had two Emil Hamiltons right, right. right next to each other right. and I'm going, I wonder if they ever spoke about it. Yeah, no, uh, but the uh, Greg Belanti people have used so many of the characters and they used them so well. Deathstroke has been a regular uh, for the first couple of seasons of Arrow. Right now it's Vigilante. Uh, they're using the Hive. They're using all these secondary miscellaneous characters. But also, you know, Cyborg from the Teen Times is the, uh, was in uh, Batman vs. Superman. He'll be in the Justice League movie coming out at the end of the year. Uh, he's supposed to get his own film in 2020. Right. And they just announced Nightwing was going to get his own film, and Deathstroke and Batman. Um, did you did you create Nightwing the character of Nightwing? The Nightwing character, right, yeah. Right. Uh, um, I forgot. It, There's been so many Robins and yeah. Robinesques. So. Yeah, I didn't create Dick Grayson, but right. even DC decided uh, that that was a total creation and right. gave creators rights, creators uh, percentages, um, and at Marvel. Uh, I did The Black Cat, who's supposed to be her own movie coming out next year, a uh, couple years. And um, some of my characters, the Nova characters, appeared in Guardians of the Galaxy. And all these characters, uh, Bullseye was in the Daredevil movie, you know. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually really insane how many characters um, that you created here, all the artists. Uh, we keep pausing here because uh, people come up to get autographs, and I, I don't want to, them to miss their time with Marv. Um, Marv, uh, what, what's your secret? What is the secret to creating a lasting character? <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I don't know. Uh, I, first of all, there is no one secret, because if there was, I'd be creating only lasting characters. Right, right. You know, for every Deathstroke, there's Moose Man or something that nobody has ever heard of. Uh, 
I think it's what my what I always do with every character is create a backstory because I'm really not interested in the powers. The powers are just cosmetics. Uh, I want to know who the character is. I want to know what their problem is. I, so I create a backstory for them. I try to create why they are the reason they are today. And then most of the stories that I try to come up with play off the character aspect as opposed to just, I'm going to rob a bank. You know, to me, I don't care about the robbing of the bank. I want to know why. I want to know all the other stuff. Sometimes you'll hit upon an idea that just makes that sing. And you may do just as good a job on another one, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I just go and, as I say, I try to create a character that I find interesting and hope whether or not it's a good guy or a bad guy, others will find it interesting. Well, you, but I, I, I think one of the things that amazes me is that you have created so many wonderful supporting characters, like uh, Renee Montoya. No, that wasn't mine. That wasn't yours. All right. Well, then I'm wrong. They're, they suck. Same. No, was it? No, didn't you create their? Um, what am I thinking of? Though you did, did you create some female like? I created lots of them. Yeah. Uh, Cat Grant. Yes, uh, Cat Grant is the one I'm thinking Kat of. Cat Grant. Now, Cat Grant, the original concept for Cat was I always thought Lois Lane was sort of artificial and superficial. Mm -hmm. She loved Superman but couldn't stand Clark. Well, Clark Kent sort of looks like Superman. He's six foot something. He's a nice guy. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's a catch. He's, he's built like nobody's business. And a lot of people may like the old shucks thing, but for some reason she was so superficial and I decided I wanted to come up with a character who had a pretty tough life, divorced, has a kid and has always dated the wrong people and she sees Clark and he is handsome and he's all this and he is nice and she figures out that he's nice and likes him doesn't even doesn't care one whit about Superman. Superman's just the people. He's the movie star. Right. She's uh, she was interested in the person, and she starts getting him to dress better and all this sort of <laughs> stuff. Instead of that same boring suit that he always wore, the blue suit. He was in sweaters. This was back in the eighties. He was in all sorts of more, much more up to date clothing because she liked him, and I think. When if you look if you get a character who suddenly likes Clark and has no ulterior motive in it, she just actually likes him, and then you discover the bad life she had gone through and the bad husband she had been married to, and the fact that she has this kid that she has to protect because the husband may get her, may get him. You suddenly develop a, a stronger character because you've introduced the things the outside audience would see first. If you meet somebody. You may like this person, but you don't know much about them. Right. And you may say, oh, this is a nice person. I want to know more about him. But then later you'll start to slowly find out, find out all the secrets about the person. And generally in comics, you reveal the secrets first. But, they, <laughs> but, they, but there's, no cont there's no context for that because you ha don't know who the character is. Right. I'd much rather develop a character than slowly peel away all those layers until you find out why the character is the character right. you like. Well, you know, you have a little bit of uh, an advantage, I guess, in that when you broke, I mean, you were really, with you, Len Wein, Roy Thomas, that the people who got into comics, when you got into comics, you were the first 
kind of like people who've grown up reading comics to right. getting into comics. Right. You were in a you had a fanzine as a kid, right? I had several fanzines, right. yeah. And uh, you knew was it Stephen King had a story in one of your fans? Stephen Stephen King's first published story was in it. Um, completely. <laughs> yeah, wasn't Gene Simmons of Kiss? He was in your comic book club. Steve, Steve, uh, he, Gene Simmons, no, remembers me. Sadly, I don't remember him. <laughs> Hi. Another pause in the action. Um, yeah, so you don't remember Gene Simmons, like, you know, talk, no, arguing all, about... It wasn't Gene Simmons back then. It yeah. was Gene Klein, I think. Right. Um... But I honestly, I remember his friends, but I don't remember him specifically. <laughs> he was one of that group, but I don't remember him specifically. Right. Well, at any rate, what I'm trying to get at is, is when you guys were getting together and saying you like comic books, I mean, there was, you know, this was a very rare thing. And so I, I guess what I'm trying to say in my roundabout way is that when Siegel and Schuster did create Superman and Lois Lane, I mean, they didn't know that it was going to become this huge thing, obviously. And so when you came around, you did have a chance to kind of fill in the background a little bit, yeah. maybe, with some of these characters, or to, to create a world, do more world building? Yeah, the well, when you're trying to milk a character and milk a situation, because that's what we're doing in a sense, that has been around, in Superman's case... At, when I got it in 50 years mm -hmm. and a lot more since <laughs> right um, you try to find the parts of the origin that haven't been explored or parts of the character that haven't been explored all that well then you try to figure out why that character was successful in the first place and Superman it's there's so many reasons and so hard to tell at the same time because he was the first but fortunately they came up with a great concept as the first. If it had been a crappy concept, maybe superheroes wouldn't be around. Right, right. That's true. Well, uh, it is It is pretty amazing that it broke the mold in that way, so... Yeah. Um, I just want to say... So talk, talk a little bit about Cyborg. Um, Cyborg and uh, what, you know, what, what, was, what was when you created him, you and George created him, what was, uh, what was the purpose behind that character? Well, this... This is going to sound like a, a, a weird reaction, uh, but at the time we did Cyborg, which was 1980, the black characters, there were several things. The black characters tend to be called black something. And I kept thinking, well, we don't have any white Green Lantern. There's no white Superman. Why are they? So part of it was, why don't I come up with a character and the name is just going to be the character's name, whether he's black, white, indifferent, whatever. Secondly, I wanted a really educated guy. Uh, I didn't want the typical street guy. But I wanted somebody who was having an argument with his dad, his family, because he really loved something. He didn't want to do like any kid. He didn't want to follow his parents. He wanted to go off on his own. And he loved athletics. Yes, he was really good at it. He was, but... Part of it was that he loved the fact that as an athlete, he also was the center of attention. You know, real athletes do get that. Sure. The girls go after them, the guys look up to them, all that sort of stuff. And he was all of this, and he wanted to just be that. And then slowly, because of the accident that destroys him and his father rebuilds him, which he doesn't like, but he is taken step by step away from what really was a mistake for him. He was too smart to just just use his muscle and slowly he had to learn 
to accept, to go for the science that he actually was excellent with, that he had to become the person that he was resisting, but his way. So his dad, I wanted him and his dad to actually come together. We killed the dad. I think it was too early. I'm glad he's back. Uh, Jeff Johns brought him back, and I think that was a really good move because he had, uh, I've written a bunch of cyborg stories, and he adds an awful lot to it because you don't see a lot of father-son relationships in comics mm -hmm. that are positive That's now. true. We were that leading is... to that. Right. Because before the father dies, they have made up, and he they come to uh, a meeting of the minds, and they, uh, they do acknowledge their love for each other. Uh, but you don't see families. And one of the things with Cyborg, we introduced his parents, we introduced his grandparents, right. we introduced his friends from when he was trying to be in that... We wanted, I wanted very much to show him as a person who has friends who weren't superheroes. Right. Because every superhero, they all seem to know each other and they all somehow accidentally get together. Right. And I wanted a real family, I wanted a real character. Right. And every time you create this, this like again, this world building, every time you create a family, you create another character, yeah. you've just created a potential story. Because yeah. there's always going to be stories about about this. Yeah. And I, I guess maybe that's what we've learned in this conversation is, you know, like, uh, character is story. Oh, character is totally. I just did a Raven miniseries. Now, I have written, created Raven in 1980 with the rest of the Teen Titans. Uh, the story is her mother ran away from home, joined a cult, a devil cult, and through the devil cult, Raven is born. And it never entered into my mind for 30 years. Why did Arella run away? What was she running from? Why did she go to a devil cult? And the answer was, her family was very religious. True Christians, not made up, right. no undertone to it. And she meets her, she didn't even know she had an aunt. And she meets them for the first time, and you suddenly have an entire new story where she goes, What's wrong? They don't want it. Since she reads emotions, they don't want anything from me except to be happy. They're good people. Why did my mother run away? <laughs> so it starts. At, she wow, starts asking good. questions about her upbringing, stories that it was all set up but never played off of. And if you set up your characters well, you'll always have storylines to pick up on later. Right. Even if you don't think of them when it first comes out. Right. Well, this is a master class here. We could go on for another hour. Maybe we'll have Mark back on the podcast at some point. Um, but I, people are lining up for more signatures. So, um, Mark, thank you so much. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Same, Heidi. And there will be more to come.